Hello, Duck fans. Good morning. This is Locked on Ducks, your daily source for info, updates, and analysis, and I'm your host, Jordan Long. You can always find me on Twitter at TheDustOffGuy. Today we're going to be talking about Troy Dye and the rest of the Combine participants who are back from Indianapolis and put their measurements and whatnot in the books. We're also going to do a preview on one of the groups participating in Wednesday's practice. You see the football team is doing their first spring practice and we'll be doing some group-by-group position analysis of uh, the participants and get a look at the upcoming uh, kids who are going to be playing football this year. We're also going to tackle the Women's Basketball Senior Day and the Pac-12 Tournament Preview later on in the show. You can always find the show on Twitter at LockedOnDucks and you can send in questions and comments to the hashtags AskLodPod, that's hashtag AskLodPod, And we'll read them on our Mailbag Mondays. But for now, on to the action. March is here. Well, March was here yesterday, but uh, March is here today. And there's a lot going on. Football is already starting up with spring practice on Wednesday. The Combine is officially finished. And we have March Madness right around the corner with Pac-12 tournaments coming up this weekend and next weekend. One thing I do want to mention for the listeners out there, and I do appreciate you listening very much, but I'm going to be transitioning from uh, a more scripted format to using some show notes, so please bear with me while I get the hang of more extemporaneous speech. Appreciate that, and love that you keep listening, and I always am open to criticisms, critiques, ideas, and suggestions. Uh, You know, for example, if you you know, had some objections or ideas to contribute to the, you know, Justin Herbert going first in the draft, go ahead and send it into the Ask Pod hashtag, and I'll be happy to talk about it. So seven ducks were invited to the Combine over the uh, last week in Indianapolis, and we didn't get a good chance to talk about Troy Dye. He was the only player from a Power 5 conference to lead his team in tackles in all four seasons of play. And was actually, per the Draft Network's position rankings, the fifth best linebacker in this draft. And and still overall an early third day draft projection. He was one of the most effective and prolific linebackers in program history. And honestly, one of the main reasons for the Ducks defense operating as efficiently and effectively as it did over the season, often considered the quarterback of the defense, he's smart, agile, and really did a good job for this this ball club. He played a lot of the year with a broken thumb and actually ended up tearing his meniscus on November 16th. He missed about six weeks of game time. But when he initially tore it, the MRI didn't reveal anything in the 
initial diagnosis, so he just kept playing on it. He ended up having arthroscopic surgery last month, and because of that, he didn't participate in any of the drills. He's going to be participating in the University of Oregon Pro Day on the 12th of this month, and we're definitely going to cover the Pro Day. That's got a lot of fun stuff coming, and I look forward to getting some of the results from some of these guys that were unable to participate fully in the combine. But Troy was present. He weighed in, but as I mentioned, he skipped the drills. Once he does participate in Pro Day, we're going to have a much more in-depth analysis on his draft results and where that places him. Uh, we talked a lot about Justin Herbert. He was at the Combine, you know, present, weighed in, tested, drilled. Since we talked about Justin Herbert, Tua Tungvaluwa's stock is falling a little bit. There seems to be some injury concerns. Uh, Miami seems to be reported that their interviews didn't go so well. Now, this could be posturing, of course, for, you know, being able to p potentially trade a pick or something like that, but... Uh, the bottom line is, is that there are reports that he may go in the teens instead of the top three. In fact, Trevor Sikama from the Draft Network, shout out to him, he just uh, came out with his mock draft version 6.0, uh, taking into account the combine results, and it's most excellent. He now has Herbert going to the Dolphins at number five, and in fact, so does Complex.com's Ian Wharton. So, uh, I'd really like to see that, and I think uh, we'll be doing we'll be talking a little bit more more about Justin going to the Dolphins and what that would look like. He still has the best hair in the combine. He did show his big arm, his accuracy during throwing exercises, and you know it was something that I don't think he got to showcase on tape that much because Oregon receivers just weren't you know real burners that got open and deep downfield. So it was real nice for him to be able to show that, even though a lot of analysts consider, you know, throwing into the open air an easy process, it was still an opportunity for him to showcase something that he really didn't get to during the year. His 40 time of 4.68 showed really good speed, actually third among quarterbacks. But I don't know if this was a particularly slow class. Okay, so just for reference, uh, Marcus Mariota ran a 4.52 at his combine, which would have actually beat the top score this year by more than five hundredths of a second. And I've heard some comparisons to Big Ben, uh, Roethlisberger, Carson Wentz, Cam Newton. And now he doesn't have Newton's speed of 4.52, which was also Mariota's speed, but 4.68 shows that Herbert can move once outside a collapsed pocket and is much faster than Big Ben's or Wentz's time. He's expected to have a high Wonderlick score, uh, he did graduate with a 4.01 GPA and is a two-time academic All-American. And he was actually the 2019 winner of the William V. Campbell Trophy. Th this trophy is actually called the Academic Heisman and is the most prestigious academic award in collegiate athletics. It used to be called the Vincent DePaul Dratty Trophy, but it changed in 2014 when Fidelity Investments bought it. They changed the name after William Campbell, who was a player, captain, and coach for Columbia from 74 to 79. But anyway, it's awarded by the National Football Foundation to the athlete who has the best combination of academics, community service, and on-field performance. Now, I mention all this, and just for some context, Carson Wentz has a 40 with it uh, on the Wonderlick, which is 
fifth highest all time among quarterbacks. And Fitzmagic, uh, quarterback uh, down in Miami, had uh, 48, which is the second, or I'm sorry, the yeah, the second highest all time score. Justin Herbert has, it's funny, there's a betting line and he's at plus 150 to have the highest Wonderlick score at the Combine. And the results haven't been released yet, but okay, so the reason I, I bring this up is because he's a really smart quarterback. And I think that is sort of an underrated or at least an underappreciated stat or feature. Uh, not that there's this high correlatory between the Wonderlick test and future performance. In fact, that'd be an interesting thing. I'll have to look up on look that up and follow up with you. But I think that these smarter quarterbacks and longtime listeners will recognize that's something that I, you know, am partial to as really smart players. They're able to diagnose things on the fly, make snap decisions that are often more accurate and more effective than uh, frankly what are slower thinkers. There are some concerns he does have some inconsistent passing. He was, now I'm not sure I agree with these concerns. He was 13th in the nation last season in completion percentage. I mean, yeah, Joe Burrow had over 76%, but that's absolutely remarkable. Anyway, we'll get more into that at some point, I'm sure. Lots of Justin Herbert coming up over the next couple of months as we move into draft time. Uh, Juwan Johnson, he was present at the combine. He weighed in, tested, uh, he he ran the drills. He ran well for his size, you know, six foot four, two hundred thirty pounds. He, he ran a four five eight forty. Now this is uh, in the other drills. He was kind of middle of the pack, but his his run time was pretty fast and a little bit faster than he was projected to go. His three cone time was second among wide receivers at six nine four, and I think that shows remarkable athleticism. Oh hey, my gosh, would you look at the time? Well. Just speaking off the cuff a little bit from notes rather than uh, going scripted takes up a little bit more time. So, okay, good note to self. We're going to save the rest of the Combine review for a later episode. And when we come back from a break, we're going to talk news and preview of the quarterbacks group for Wednesday spring practice, okay? All right, welcome to Locked on Ducks. We're back. I'm Jordan Long, your host. And we just talked a little bit of Combine review and we're going to continue to review it as the week moves along. But for now, we got to move on to Wednesday's spring practice. So first of all, we got a little news. Oregon added a new offensive quality control analyst. His name is Taylor Housewright, and he actually worked previously for Joe Moorhead over at Mississippi State. The announcement hasn't been made official yet, but Housewright's Twitter is exploded with retweets from people at Oregon, and uh, he's changed his Twitter pick to show uh, uh, Oregon. So anyway, he's a former Division II quarterback at Ashland who actually made it as far as a Bengals rookie minicamp in 2012. And he had all these graduate assistant jobs, Miami, Ohio, uh, Wittenberg. He went back to Ashland for a little while and Wyoming actually before going to work for Joe Moorhead at Mississippi State. So it'll be fun to see this new offensive quality control analyst who works with a new offensive coordinator, and now on to the new prospects, at least quarterback prospects, for uh, the first spring practice, Wednesday, March 5th. 
So this is the first real quarterback competition we're going to see since Justin Herbert came onto the team and took the starting job. Uh, and we talked about that on yesterday's episode. Tyler Shug, Jay Butterfield, Kale Millen. Uh, we're getting Robbie Ashford in the fall. Uh, he's committed to Oregon, and we're going to talk about his prospects in just a minute. Shug was backing up Herbert uh, for a few games. He actually was 12 for 15, 144 yards, three touchdowns, and had two rushes for 11 yards, I think, over five games. I think Herbert leaves some pretty high expectations, if not very high. So I just kind of want to temper those expectations and say, look, we might not have... Justin Herbert certainly wasn't another Marcus Mariota. And Tyler Shug or one of these other uh, men certainly isn't, may not be a another Justin Herbert. So we're just going to have to see how things develop. Now, Joe Moorhead's office is new, so I... I don't think the new quarterback is going to play like Justin Herbert at all. The new starter is going to run more. Moorhead plans on running it more than... Uh, so his predecessor, Marcus Arroyo, was a QB coach for Tampa Bay and former quarterback and had a much more of a passing game in mind. And that's definitely how, after Marcus Mariota, that's the direction they went. So, so I think Joe Moorhead is planning on running it quite a bit more. And that's going to affect how this QB competition goes moving forward. Jay, Robbie, and Tyler are a bit undersized and have a chance to develop and grow into their skin. We're going to talk about heights and weights in just a second. Ashford's not going to arrive until the end of summer, and he may actually be a Major League Baseball prospect. So we'll have to wait and see if he does get drafted in the MLB, how he responds to that. There's only 15 practices before then, and we've been assured by Coach Cristobal that no one's going to be named starter. You know, this guy loves competition, and I think that's what we're going to see here, unless Tyler Shug somehow blows us away with some outstanding play. I think that the starter job is going to be in the air until uh, Robbie Anderson can come to camp or they can get through quite a bit more competition. Shug has stayed Justin Herbert's backup for his tenure at Oregon. And, you know, that's actually kind of remarkable given we now have this transfer portal where people can announce their intentions. Coach Cristobal and his recruiters and scouts can be on the lookout for good backups. And the fact that he's put in his time, he's had starting reps, I think bodes well for him. So Shug and Millen are currently on the roster. We mentioned their names. So is Bradley Yafe, six foot three, 214 pounds. Uh, he, uh, as per 24-7 sports, he doesn't have a composite rating available. He's a two-star high school res uh, recruit. He's also been managing the scouting team for a year. And the coaches have been pretty impressed with his play. Kale Millen, redshirt freshman, 6'4", 210, uh, three-star recruit per 24-7 composite rating. His dad was Hugh Millen. He was a journeyman backup and practice squad QB from 84 to 96. I mean, this guy has played for Rams, Falcons, Patriots, Cowboys, Dolphins, Broncos, Saints. But Kale has shoulder surgery last year. So he's after recovering from that, he's going to be eligible to compete for the starting job. As far as Tyler Shug, who we talked a little bit about, he does come in at 6'5". And he was 187 pounds in high school, 204 pounds as a freshman. And then as a redshirt freshman and sophomore, he's now 219 pounds. So he's put on some weight, filled out that six foot five frame of his a little bit. He had 24 offers, including Alabama, Georgia, Michigan, but originally committing to North Carolina, 
he actually switched to Oregon in October of 2017 and rolling in January of 2018. He played in eight total games, uh, but I think I mentioned five of them where he started. We talked about his stats in those games. Pretty decent just for stepping in off the fly in a few games. There are a list of signees. We have Jay Butterfield. He's a highly guarded recruit. Six foot six. That's a tall quarterback. I mean, at some point we're talking too tall, right? And at 202 pounds, this kid has a lot of filling out to do. According to 24-7 Sports, they call him a pro-style quarterback, but I watched his high school junior highlight reel. Plenty of mobility, and he's not done getting bigger, right? So I think based on the amount of filling out he has to do, he could certainly turn into a dual-threat quarterback under uh, Cristobal's Moorhead's offense. His father was Mark Butterfield, who played for Stanford, and he was actually on the Cardinals, uh, Arizona Cardinals practice squad, and a backup quarterback for the Bears in 1996. He had four stars, uh, according to 24-7 Composite. Now, this I keep mentioning the 24-7 Sports Composite rating, and I actually really like this rating because it takes into account all the metrics and all the rating systems that are out there and forms a, a composite from them. So I don't have to talk about Rivals and ESPN and a uh, hundred different you know, rating sites. 24-7 Sports does this great job of rating high school recruits based on a composite. So... Jay Butterfield's pretty doggone highly uh, rated here at a .9353. That's the highest rated uh, freshman that they have. So third pro best pro-style quarterback in the nation, according to 24-7 Sports. Uh, he had a three-year career in high school, and his record was 32-5 and with 7,270 yards, 85 touchdowns, 21 interceptions. It's pretty solid high, uh, high school play. He chose Oregon over Arizona, ASU. I mean, here, there's just, it's just a who's who of, uh, of states here. Had plenty of opportunities to play and chose Oregon. He was part of the December signing class and enrolled January 16th at the U of O. So looking forward to seeing him compete as well. And briefly, I want to mention Robbie Ashford. We'll probably talk more about him when he arrives later in the summer or early in the fall. Six foot two, 204 pounds. He's a legit dual-threat quarterback. The 24-7 sports composite rating has him as a four-star high school recruit. He had offers from Florida, Colorado, Ole Miss, Auburn. He actually signed with Oregon December 14th, and I think that he was recruited by Joe Moorhead uh, at Ole Miss, but uh, I'll have to check on that. We're going to have to take another quick break, and we're going to talk about the offensive line in tomorrow's uh, rundown, but... Uh, suffice to say, there's going to be a lot of changes in the offense. So looking forward to talking about that. And we're going to take a quick break and be right back. All right, welcome back. This is Locked on Ducks. I'm your host, Jordan Long. And we just finished talking about uh, Wednesday's first spring practice. And now we're going to talk about the Pac-12 Women's Basketball Senior Day and a little review of the upcoming tournament. After victory on Sunday... The crowd, the players, everybody, they did this. They, I, you know, I know the locals are aware of this. They've seen it plenty of times. But for those of you who are new to the Ducks or haven't had a chance to go to a game, and a celebration like this, they put up on the Jumbotron this great recreation of the uh, scene from Animal House where they're in the basement of the Delta House singing Shout. But they have have all of these uh, well-known 
Oregon athletes come in and take part. Just Google it on YouTube. Check it out. It's awesome. But for the rest of us, just like the ending of the Rose Bowl, they're singing Shout. They're having a good time. And and it's, it's actually quite deserved. This women's basketball team have made this sport a must-see event. You know, we mentioned this a little bit, but Kobe's legacy... And one of the things his wife talked about in the memorial service was to make women's basketball a legit sport in a viable industry. And just here's a couple of numbers for you. In 2012, average attendance at uh, women's basketball games was 1,200. And in Sabrina Ionescu's freshman year, it bumped up to 2,600. And this year, it was over 11,500 average attendance, which is higher than the men's basketball games. So even the Civil War game. And you know how everybody comes in from Corvallis to see that one. In fact, don't forget that the Ducks beat the women's national team earlier this year. Unfortunately, four of the starters uh, that played this year were leaving. And that's really who we were celebrating in the Senior Day moment. Mignon Moore. She's projected to go as a late second, early third round pick in the WNBA. Satu Sabli, I've seen her as high as second overall, but definitely in the top three. Ruthie Hebert, top five draft prospect. And of course, Oregon's own Sabrina Ionescu, number one overall pick to the New York Liberty. I think it's possible that all three Ducks could go as a top three pro- or top three draftees in the WNBA draft. Now, the Dallas Wings actually have the second and fifth pick, so it's possible they get both Hebert and Sabali, and those two stay together. Wouldn't that be phenomenal? Anyway, there were personal messages from the athletic director, deputy athletic director, Mario Cristobal, and a bunch of others. I recommend going on to www.goducks.com news. Find those letters. Very touching. Very good stuff. Sabali was named Pac-12 Player of the Week. And after averaging 23 points, 7 rebounds, 20-plus points in her last three outings, it's well-deserved. So, on to the Pac-12 tournament. You see, Thursday is going to be the usual bracket openings. Number 12, Cal, and number 5, ASU. Number 10, Colorado, versus number 7, uh, USC. Number 11, Washington State, versus number 6, Oregon State. And... The close game to watch ought to be number nine, University of Washington, against number eight, Utah. And part of the reason to watch this one is because the winner of that game will be going on to play the Ducks on Friday. So first round buys. Oregon is the number one seed, of course, is going to get that. UCLA has a tiebreaker over Stanford, so they have the number two seed. Arizona has a number four seed. And Oregon is the second to play on Friday. So those other teams I mentioned, that. that Oregon and them aren't playing on Thursday. So Oregon's going to be the second team to play on Friday. It's going to be 2 p.m. on the Pac-12 network. And they're going to, like we mentioned, they're going to play the winner of Washington and Utah. Sunday's game versus University of Washington was a blowout. So they didn't have any answers for the Ducks. And the Ducks beat Utah both times. They played them by 30 points or more. So, you know, I, I think we could pretty well handle either of these teams. I prefer University of Washington just because of the matchups we got there. Um, I think I'd like to see what happened on Sunday. You know, we get a big lead, 30 plus points, and they can rest some of their starters for the next day moving on in the tournament. Now, when the University of Oregon wins on Friday, they're going to play again Saturday at 6 p.m. 
they're going to play the winner of Arizona and either Arizona State or Cal. I honestly prefer they play Cal uh, in this matchup, but I'm pretty sure Arizona is going to beat whoever they end up playing on Friday. The Pac-12 Championship Finals on Sunday at 5 p.m. ESPN2. We're going to do a preview show on Friday morning for that, uh, for the Saturday. And then we'll also do as much of a preview as we can for Sunday. And then have a big time recap on Monday. We're going to do more March Madness as we get closer to that. On March 16th at 4 p.m. They're going to give the uh, bracket announcements and we'll see where the Ducks land at. That's all we have time for today on Locked on Ducks. Your daily source of info, updates, and analysis. I am Jordan Long. You can find me on Twitter at the Dustoff Guy. We talked about the combine. We did a little recap. We're going to follow up with some more. We didn't get to everybody, so we're going to follow up with some more in the next couple of days. We did the QB group, uh, you know, going into Wednesday's first spring practice, and we did a little preview of the Pac-12 tournament. Next time, we're going to be previewing men's basketball game against uh, Cal. We're going to talk receivers and running backs group for Wednesday's practice. We're going to try and get to the offensive line group and defense group, but we may have to either abridge those a little bit or move them into later episodes as the practices go on through the week. You can always follow the show at Locked on Ducks on Twitter. And please send in those questions and comments to hashtags AskLodPod. Just use the hashtag AskLODPOD. And, you know, if you got comments on how the show's presented, what you'd like to hear more of, what you'd like to hear less of. I'm all ears. I like to think of this as the people's podcast, and we can make it better for everybody, more enjoyable for you, more fun for me. Also, send in those questions. I do love research. I do love analysis, and I like to dig in deep into some of these questions. So send them to the hashtag AskLodPod, and you know, click the subscribe button or follow button wherever you listen to podcasts at. And rate the show five out of five stars. If you don't think I get five stars, well, leave five anyway. And leave a review uh, telling me why, and I'll fix it for you. In the meantime, have a great day, and go Ducks!